Good to see everyone out this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus in chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. We're going to read from that in just a moment. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 11. It's good to see everyone out again. As uh, I've already said, it's good to be able to, uh, as we already have this morning, study God's Word a little bit. Uh, had pretty good discussion as we were going through some of the material on, on uh, being de- becoming devoted to prayer. And I thought that was a very beneficial hour that we spent together. It's been beneficial just to praise God and worship God together. You know, a lot of the blessings that we have have to do with being together, the, that one another aspect. And so uh, it, it's just a blessing that we should never take for granted, as, as I say frequently. Uh, but I, think, I say it frequently because I think the Bible talks about it frequently. And so it's just good to be with everyone this morning. Um, we have a few visitors here with us, and we're very delighted that you're with us wherever you're traveling from. It's good to see you here. You're our honored guest. There's a few visitors uh, specifically from Alabama. They were, uh, that was a little louder than I meant for it to be. <laughs> we have a few uh, visitors with us. The Horns, they're some of, literally, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, they're some of our deepest friends that we've had uh, ever since I've actually started preaching. Uh, when I started preaching in uh, Athens, Alabama in 2018, they were some of the first people that was very easy to befriend. And so uh, they, um, they've been our, our friends for quite some time now, and we try to see each other every now and then, and they are able to be with us this weekend. It's, it's, it's been a good couple of days with them. Um, as I said, if you want to go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 11, we are going to be continuing on in our narrative series throughout the Bible, and we are not going to be focusing on that really narrative portion of Leviticus. We've already looked at that in Leviticus chapter 10. Let me just say, there is so much that you can talk about in Leviticus. I think there's two extremes people have when you approach this book. It's either, because it is the book of the law. And so the two extremes are either, uh, there is nothing to take from this today, or there is, you know, so much to take from it that there's no way to understand it. Well, I, I, I think there needs to be some kind of balance there. Yes, this is a part of the old covenant, but that doesn't mean there's no value at all. And I kind of talk about that in the bulletin, uh, in the article that, that I wrote about, and it is about Leviticus, about how it's still valuable for us today. And I hope I just kind of show that a little bit throughout our study this morning. Uh, but also, on the other hand, we want to make sure while we see that value that we don't go too far uh, and, and make really silly applications. Um, and so Leviticus 19 and verse 2, that is kind of that that very familiar verse that people frequently go to to, to kind of use as, as uh, and I think for good reason, that it is a thematic verse for Leviticus, where God says, you are to be holy as I am holy. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah, the, your God. And so, <clears throat> I will just add, I may have to drink a, a little bit more water than usual. My voice is a little hoarse. It's just the after effects of the, the cold that I had previously this week. It, it, no longer contagious, but just uh, this may be a little annoying to you all, um, but just kind of bear with me throughout the morning. But as I said, Leviticus 19 and verse 2, it is a good verse to use when talking about really what the purpose of the law is. It is so that we can be more holy as our God is holy. Now, when you think about that notion, though, I think, you know, when you talk about grace or you talk about holiness, anything, uh, many things really today, especially with um, many people who would claim to be Christians, some would say that this is just impossible. It's impossible to be holy like God is holy. Uh, that the only way to be holy is to just sit there and hope that God will sanctify you 
an idle and uninvested individual. And that's just simply not what, what the New Testament indicates. It's not what even the law indicates. And I think that this is one of the misconceptions that people have of the law frequently. You look over at Leviticus chapter 11 in verse 44. We'll look at the context more in just a moment. But in verse 44 of chapter 11, it says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. Again, we'll talk about the context more in just a moment. But especially in verse 44, there's a commandment that you need to what? Consecrate sanctify yourself. And what that means is to, to really, as he already said in Leviticus 19, I expect you to be holy as I am. And what that means is it's, going to, it's not going to be an, an idle experience. No, we're going to be, have to be very active. So before we get too far into the lesson, I just want to just define what we mean when we talk about holiness. There's a few different things that we could say about holiness. There's a, there's a, a lot to take from the definition as you look at the Strong's, as you look at uh, just the, the Strong's Dictionary, rather. But I, essentially what we're talking about when we look at the word holiness is that which is set apart. We've kind of talked about this already in a few of our prior lessons, but it, it, it's something that's sacred, that which is to be venerated. Um, what, I believe I've already gone through this example, but Brother Tom Holly, he likes to say when he talks about this word holy, it, it is that which is set apart. But he uses the example frequently, you know, my car keys are set apart. But it's not holy necessarily, right? Why is it that, that, what do we mean when we say that God is holy? It's not just that he is set apart, but that he is, he's set apart for a special purpose. He is set apart because he is the very standard of holiness. In fact, not just in verse uh, 2 of Leviticus chapter 19, but all throughout, as he is setting up laws and regulations for Israel, his people to follow, the reasoning behind it is because I am the Lord. That's, that's the standard. Of, of authority, and that's the standard of what holiness is. He is the root of it. Um, and that's how we gauge what is holy and what is not. And, and, and why is it that he is holy? Because he is special. He is separate from all things. There's not one being in existence, and there's not one uh, inanimate object in, ex in existence that can even uh, compare to his existence, to his being. Because he is that I am, the one that exists outside of, of all of the restrictions that we are limited by. <clears throat> and so that's what we mean by holiness. Well, uh, as you look throughout a little bit more in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26, <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 26, holiness uh, was required from God's people. As he says over and over again, you need to be holy as I am holy. One of the reasons that that is required, uh, and I would say one of the main reasons, is because you can't dwell with God. He can't dwell among his people unless they try to reflect some of that specialness, that, that, that kind of holiness. In verse 22, beginning of Levit or verse 11, excuse me, verse 11 of Leviticus chapter 22, it says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. And so uh, and you could even look over at Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8 where it talks about how to build that tabernacle. And one of the reasons is because this will be a very tangible indicator of the fact that I am dwelling among my people. 
let me just say, we could spend the whole lesson on that idea of God dwelling with his people, and eventually we will. <laughs> That's not this morning, but just that notion alone, that is a beautiful thought, that God wants to dwell among his people. Now, that should kind of bring up a lot of, of other questions that we need to ask ourselves. Am I living that holy, consecrated life where he can dwell among his people today? Uh, and, and we'll kind of talk about that as we go throughout the, the lesson a little bit more as well. But finally, as we talk about this notion of the fact that it is, it is an active process, it is an active mindset that we need to have to consecrate ourselves. As we already looked at in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44, he says that you must consecrate yourselves, sanctify yourselves. In verse 45, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Once more, it doesn't sound like an idle, inactive, and uninvested process. This is something that takes a lot of effort. And not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. And I, I, I wish we had more time to go through this. Because just in looking at the laws of the sacrifices, of the offerings, as you go through the burnt offering, the, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin and the uh, guilt offerings, all of those have beautiful applications. Uh, we don't have enough time to go through it chapter by chapter. What I want to do as we go throughout this study is just kind of break this up. Um, and, and we will be looking at the entirety of the book. That doesn't mean we're going to be reading the entire book. But we're going to be looking at an overview and just making uh, very specific points about what I, what I think are main applications that we are supposed to take, that Israel was supposed to take from the law. And therefore, what I think some valuable lessons we are to take from the law as well. Um, and so... What, what, what God is saying is to Israel, you need to make yourselves like me. When he says, be holy as I am holy. You need to reflect that kind of holiness. And you need to set yourselves apart. So the question is, what was it that they were supposed to separate themselves from? If it is a set-apart notion, and we are to be a set-apart people, his, Israel was supposed to be a set-apart people, what were they separating from? That's really what I want to focus on for the next few moments. And so just this idea of separation, specifically in the law that, uh, that Moses delivers to the people in Israel. Just, just a few things. First of all, and I think that this is one of the most obvious, they were to be separated from the law, or from the world, excuse me. They were supposed to be separated from the world. Israel was God's chosen people. And they were not to, they were not to, to act or look or be like any other nation. Rather, they were supposed to be depictions of what God's holiness looked like. They were supposed to be depictions of what uh, a, a, a people of God are supposed to look like, of what holiness is supposed to look like. In Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20 in verse uh, 22 beginning. Leviticus chapter 20 beginning in verse 22. It says, You are therefore to keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and do them so that the land to which I am bringing you to live will not spew you out. Moreover, you shall not follow the customs of the nation which I will drive out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I have abhorred them. Hence I have said to you, you are to possess their land, and I myself will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the people. So once again, you see that notion. In verse 25, you are therefore to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Does it seem <laughs> confusing at all what God is saying here? No, he's saying you need to look like me and like no one else. 
And when you're trying to figure out how you are to live, you don't look to any other standard but the one I'm giving you right now. The word's not far from you. It's right before you. So choose life, as Moses would say in Deuteronomy. And so from the very outset, I think it's very clear that as you look through all of these laws, I think that's a good thing to remember. Sometimes the laws get kind of confusing, and we are going to look at some of the things that he even indicates, like unclean animals and the uncleanness of certain diseases and whatnot. What exactly are we supposed to take from that? I want to look at that. But, but just from the outset, just understand that I think this is a big part of, of the application when you go through some of those maybe more confusing uh, details. Why is it that um, it, it, over in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, in, in verse 26, it says something pretty interesting. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26. He says, you shall not eat anything with the blood, nor practice divination or soothsaying. See, pretty obvious. I don't, think I, I don't think anybody here really wants to eat blood. I mean, you eat rare steak, but that's not blood. Just understand, that's, that's still some, been processed. So, so it seems pretty clear. That's pretty easy. You shall not round off the side growth of your heads, nor harm the edges of your beard. Interesting. You shall, uh, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, especially in verse 27, I think that may be, that's a detail that's kind of hard to wrap our head around. Now, verse 28, verse 26, I think it's a little clearer. Especially in verse 28, I just can't help but think about that moment where Elijah is, is you know, making this case before the prophets of Baal. And how, are, how, how is he trying to... to um, Get God to respond. Well, he's giving him an offering, and he is, you know, praying, and he is coming before him in a reverent manner. How are the prophets of Baal doing this? They're cutting themselves. They're mutilating themselves to try and wake Baal up, to wake their idol, this dead idol of wooden stone up. And, and Elijah kind of get humorous. Well, maybe he's out relieving himself. Maybe you just need to be a little bit louder. They do it more. And it's such a... It's such an absurd and ludicrous and, and silly illustration of what idolatry looks like, of what paganism looks like. Um, and, and I just can't help but think about that when you look at especially verse 28. Again, even there it kind of makes sense. But then you get to verse 27 where it talks about, you know, the shavings of your beard. What exactly is God trying to talk about? I'm, I'm sure I don't know exactly what it is, but I think one thing that we can take from this is maybe it is simply you don't want to look like the other pagan nations. There are certain things that they do. There are certain traditions that they have. And simply, I don't want you to look like them. It should not be from your appearance that people, that people don't think immediately, oh, this is, a part, this is a part of Israel. That is the nation of the great I am. It should be kind of like when Rahab you know, approaches the, the spies in, in Joshua. She, it's not like it's, it's unclear or vague who they are. No, she knows who they are. And, 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 and she can uh, speak in such beautiful ways about what God has done through that nation. That's a good example of the kind of reputation that we should give God. Um, but, but just going beyond that, I think the main point when it comes to some of these things is... you. You are supposed to be separated from the world to the degree that no one looks at you and thinks, oh, they're, they're just like the rest of the pagans. They're just like the rest of the world. No, we are not. Whether it be in our, our, uh, the clothes we wear or maybe certain hairstyles. I think even today, I think today you can still see some of those traditions of the world that kind of Christians don't really want to be a part of. Certain hairstyles that we do, hairstyles that just are saying, hey, look at me. Now, again, I think that maybe this is a little bit different from, from what they saw back in uh, the days of, of Moses. But I still think that there are some close uh, similarities. 
So I, I think from the very outset, it's kind of easier to see that that separation from the world, that's something that, that, uh, that, that's, something that's easier to see. But, but again, what about the other things that they're separate from? Like animals and, and diseases and all of these things that aren't maybe necessarily sinful, but they're just things that make them unclean to come before God. Well, that's what I want to look at for the next few moments. First of all, he talks about just this notion of uncleanness. Over in Leviticus chapter 5, Leviticus chapter 5, first of all, as he gets into the uh, sin offering, uh, or the the guilt offering, rather, in Leviticus chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 1, it says, Now if a person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify when he is a witness, whether he has seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he will bear his guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean cattle or a carcass of unclean swarming things, though it is hidden from him and he is unclean, uh, then he will be guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness or whatever sort of his uncleanness may be with which he becomes unclean and it is hidden from him and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty. Now again, in verse 1, we understand that pretty clearly. There's not much explanation needed there. But then you get to verses 2 and 3 as it talks about these, these, uh, these uh, unclean beasts or unclean animals. One thing that you find that's interesting within some of the, some of the laws of the offerings, particularly the sin and the guilt offering, there are, there are uh, ways to become unclean that, maybe not, that may not be necessarily sinful. You see that especially when it comes to leprosy. And we're going to look at this even a little bit in just a moment. But when it comes to certain diseases or certain emissions from the body, there are things that are not inherently sinful in and of themselves, but what do they do? They make the individual unclean. They can't come before God in that manner. Rather, before they can come before God, they have to be washed. They have to be consecrated. They have to make themselves right and ceremonially clean before they can uh, give an offer, before they can come before God in a worthy manner. Um, and, and hopefully we make the case, make this a little bit more clear as we go throughout as, as to why this even matters. But back in Leviticus chapter 11, we already read verses 44 and 45, but again, getting some more of the context. In Leviticus 11, this is where he really talks a lot about the unclean animals that they were allowed to eat and the, the clean animals that they were allowed to eat. Um, And in verse uh, 46, after he says that you are to consecrate yourselves and make sure that you uh, do not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that he was just mentioning, verse 46, this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. Now, even if we don't have, you know, maybe the clearest picture of why we at least understand there is something about this that is unclean. There is something about this that God wants Israel, his people, to associate with uncleanness. So from the beginning, we at least understand that. And I think a part of understanding uh, what, what we were supposed to take from the law is just going step by step like that. What do we know for sure? Well, there's something about this that is unclean. There's something about this that God wants to indicate. I don't want you to associate this with me. Now, you just look at some of the examples that he gives of unclean animals. Verse 7, pigs. Have you ever looked at a pig and thought, how majestic? <laughs> no, you, they're disgusting. They, they, I mean, they, they live in putrid environments. And, and, and the things that they, they eat, human beings. 
Incidentally, they don't eat tomatoes. I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not sure what we should take from that. But, but they, they, they eat just about anything. They're disgusting. And I think it kind of makes sense when you, look at, when you look at that. Look at how they live. Look at what they eat. Look at what they do. Don't, that is something that is unclean. And that is not something that you get to bring before me, incidentally, as an offering. That is not something that you get to interact with in a common way. That's something that will make you uh, become unclean before me. You look a little bit further, verses 13 through 19, and he starts talking about the thing, these animals of the air. What are all these things? They're death eaters. They are, thing, they are animals that eat roadkill. And, you know, you know we have plenty of examples just looking at the roads when you go out in the morning and in the evening, you know, feel terrible about this, but I hit like three possums in one day, like two weeks ago. And later in the day, we were coming back home and I looked at Paige and I said, well, I guess I feel good to a degree. I fed some of these buzzards. I fed some of these birds. But you look at that and again, you don't think how beautiful. How graceful. No, you think that's disgusting. I want to get as far away from that as possible. In fact, even though we're not even going to touch it ourselves, we feel dirty when we go over all of the guts on the road with just our tires. Oh, well, I'm going to have to power wash that off when we get home. And, and we understand that. Why? Because it's been, it's been somewhat made unclean by death. It's been made unclean by the gross and the disgusting. So is it really that hard to imagine why God is saying, I don't want you to associate these things with me? No, I think that makes a little bit of sense. And these other things, like pigeons, how do you look at pigeons? You don't, think, you don't look at them and think they're gross. You don't look at them and think, you know, that they're not the death eaters. But there's somewhat of an innocence there. There's somewhat of a purity there. And incidentally, I think that's one of the reasons why they are a part of the provisions that God gives to the poor to say, if you want to give a burnt offering, you don't have the means to do so with a bull or a lamb. Guess what? You can use a pigeon. Just go out and catch one, and you can use this as an offering. And why is it? Because they're not, uh, at least to a degree, I'm not saying the whole reason, but to a degree, because they're not like these other animals that are gross. No, there's, there's something there to, uh, that I think that we can understand from that. And so they're supposed to separate from uncleanness. Not only that, I don't want to take too much time on each, on each point. just want to make the case as I go. But not only are they to separate from the world, from uncleanness, but they are to separate, as we already indicated, from disease. Now, what do we mean by this? Essentially, that which infects, that which is contagious, uh, uh, that which is contagious. Um, in Leviticus chapters 13 through 14, there is an extensive amount of time spent on leprosy and exactly how one is to go about cleansing themselves if they had leprosy and now they're healed of it, how the priest is supposed to tell whether or not he's still infected, if he still has leprosy, and what are the, what are, what are the, what are the steps that we need to take when leprosy does uh, invade the assembly. And let me tell you, there are some drastic measures that they take. We won't even talk about the person, the individual that's infected with leprosy. But even the person's house, the structure, could be contaminated. Now, you look at one that had an infected house. There's a mark of leprosy on the house. You look at chapter 14 in verse 33 beginning. We're not going to read the whole thing. But in verse 33, it talks about how it, at the very beginning of the process, you need to make sure that the materials... All of the materials within the house are taken out of it so they don't become unclean also. It's an interesting thought. It is so contagious. It's so unclean that, it, that that uncleanness can spread. 
And again, we're going to come back to this notion in just a minute. So just stay with me. Keep, keep this in your mind as we go along. But that uncleanness spreads. And it does go from person to person, from thing to thing. And it's something that can even come down. If you come in contact with the thing that's been infected, now you are unclean. There's something interesting about that. Well, you go throughout the process a little bit more. If it seems that, that all of the things have been, uh, that, that, the, that the leprosy is still there, that the house is still affected in this way, then they take out the stones. And not just anywhere, but they take those things that are unclean to an unclean place. And after they've done that, they scrape and they intensely clean it out, trying to make sure that they get that, trying to make sure that they scrub it out, that they wash it away from the house. And you see that in verse 39 through 42. But then when you get to verse 43, what you find is if it still is a problem, guess what? You demolish that thing. You make sure that there is nothing of it left. Why? Because you need to take drastic measures. This is something that's unclean. This is something that hurts. This is something that infects. And you need to make sure that it doesn't spread any, any further. And what do you have to do? You've got to take care of this pronto, immediately, urgently, and you've got to wipe it out. Now, we're going to come back to this again, but can you think of maybe any application to that notion? We'll come back to that, but just think about that. He wanted them to be very cautious with something like that. You look at the very end of the chapter in verses 54 through 57, and it says, this is the law that I have about leprosy, whether it comes to the garment, the house, the individual, no matter what, this is the law. And we look at it sometimes and we think, this is just monotonous. This is just useless. Oh, May we never, ever say about any portion of God's revealed word that this is useless. It has no value. Let us never, ever say that, that kind of stupid thing come out of our mouth. Because it is God's revelation. Don't say something so, so, so terrible about it. Well, ultimately, what is the main application from all of this? You need to separate from the world. You need to separate from uncleanness. You need to separate from disease. What is all of this, I think, ultimately saying? You need to separate yourselves from that which corrupts. You need to separate yourselves from everything that, that can't be associated with me. That isn't similar to me. That which is gross and disgusting. That which infects. That which only hurts. That which only brings pain. Don't you ever associate that with me and my existence. That is not a part of the offerings you can give. That is not a part of the presence of the Lord. If I'm to dwell among you, these things can't be here. And I don't want that to be associated with me. Uh, in, in Leviticus chapter 22, in chapters 21 and 22, it talks a lot about the priesthood. And how, uh, really, who could serve in their priestly duties, uh, in their priestly role, the works that they were given, and who could not. There were certain things that disqualified some men from being priests, and not necessarily just sin but because of certain uncleanness. In Leviticus chapter 22, um, beginning in verse... Uh, Leviticus 22, beginning in verse 2. Leviticus 22 and verse 2. It says, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, If any man among all your descendants throughout your generations approaches the holy gifts which the sons of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness... That person shall be cut off from before me. I am the Lord. No man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge or 
may eat of the holy gifts until he is clean. And if one touches anything made unclean by a corpse, or if a man has a seminal omission, or if a man touches any teeming things by which he is made unclean, or any man by whom he is made unclean, whatever his uncleanness, a person who touches any such shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat of the holy gifts unless he has bathed his body in water. But when the sun sets, he will be clean. And afterward, he shall eat of the holy gifts, for it is his food. So it gets down to even such a detail that if you're unclean, you don't get to, you don't get to enjoy the provisions that I have given to you. Because if you recall, those offerings, the laws of the offerings, a part of those things, as you get to like the grain offering and onward, you see that some of that was given as a provision for the priesthood. Because the Levites, they didn't have a, a, a portion, an inheritance like the rest of Israel. They had a unique inheritance. And their inheritance was the Lord. And that's, this is how they were provided for by the Lord, which, again, is another lesson in and of itself. But, but all of this just to say, you have the priesthood. Even they did not get to just, and actually especially they, did not just get to disregard all of these things. It's not just about making sure that you can give a clean offering. It's about making sure that you can give yourself purely in a consecrated manner, in a holy manner, before you approach God. Remember Levit Leviticus chapter 10? Nadab and Abihu? They did not approach God in a worthy manner. They didn't treat him as holy. They treated him as a profane thing. That was the issue. That's what God says. And he says, I will. I will be treated as holy. And so this holiness aspect, it, it really does matter. And, and the, the notion of putting, giving ourselves to God in a, in a clean way. Even as you look at Genesis, uh, chapter 21, even defects would restrict Aaron's sons, people that could be priests, from doing priestly work. Men who, who had, had uh, there, there's a lot of things that are, that are spoken of, um, and really as you read through some of these things, you read about discharges alone. That's not very comfortable reading through that in a public setting. But all of these things were necessary. Because if you had these defects, then they're something that made you that, that, that disqualified uh, you. You were not allowed to serve as a priest if you had some of these things. We look at that sometimes and we say, well, how exclusive right you are. How could, how could God isolate like this? Is God, is God just being fickle here? I think that's sometimes the notion that we come away with when we read through some of these things. That, 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 some of these people, they just happen to get in this circumstance. They didn't choose this kind of defect. Who chooses a defect? And yet they still couldn't serve. Uh, let, me just, let me just suggest something. It is not that God, it's not that God is fickle. It's that man is. And God wants to make sure that when you look at the priest giving me this offering, that you don't even associate something like a defect with me. It's because man, when they look at, at, uh, at when they look at people, they tend to be very fickle. We tend to be very shallow. God is not. But he is trying to provide, I think, for us to a degree. And he wants to make sure that no one thinks that any, that any corruption can be in his midst. I think that's the main point of, all of, uh, of, of a lot of this. And so all of these things they were supposed to separate from. But this separation, this holiness was also, I would say, a drawing nearer to godly purity. In Leviticus chapters 8 and 9, you see how much it takes as the priesthood is being consecrated before they can give even the first offering. 
they have to be atoned for. There's offerings that they have to give for that atonement. There's offerings that they have to give to, to be in a, a clean manner before God before they can do that. And you see how Moses wipes the blood of the offering on the right earlobe, the right big toe, the right thumb. And I heard something about this one time, and I thought it was just brilliant, the, the, the connection he made. But uh, it was um, uh, Brother Stephen Russell, as he was talking about that, he said, I can't help but think about that song that we sometimes sing with the little children, you know, be, be careful little eyes what you say, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful where you go, what you do. And what may be indicated there is everything that you do, remember, God is watching. And you need to be doing everything, everything you look at and that you set your eye upon and everything that you're listening to. You need to make sure that you are directing yourself in a way where you can, uh, where you won't be ashamed to be in God's presence. And where you won't be unclean to be in God's presence. And so there's so much given there. Ultimately, I would say, again, to separate from corruption, but also to separate ourselves, to give ourselves over to godly purity. And so what all that looks like. Now, with all that being said, our final point, and this will be a shorter point, I promise you. But that is what the separation that the law talks about. That is how God's people, Israel, was supposed to separate themselves in the law. There is definitely a notion of separation when it comes to the law of Christ, when it comes to those who are in Christ, who are a part of his kingdom, those who have pledged to make him their king. What does that separation look like? Well, for one thing, it looks like separation from the world. Over in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, <clears throat> Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of, uh, uh, of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, in chapter 7, verse 1, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So what is that talking about again? Here he's even quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting portions of the law to say, you want God to dwell among you? You know what you have to do? You have to get out of the kingdoms of the world. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of Christ, you can't look like them. Remember what we were talking about in Leviticus 19, that, that kind of weird portion of, of the shavings of the beards? You think maybe that application comes in, is even emphasized in the New Covenant? Don't look like them. Don't act like them. Don't look like you should be don't look like you should be a normal part of their culture because that is not what your culture is supposed to look like no we're supposed to live in a culture of holiness and so from i think it's very clearly something that we take from from uh the new testament as well well not only that but we are supposed to separate ourselves from uncleanness do you kind of see where i'm going with all of this what what is something that makes us unclean today what what is something you know is there just nothing that we're supposed to take from that that he talks all of that time, all of those laws, all of those regulations about that which makes you unclean. Is there nothing that we're supposed to take from that? No application today? No, I think that there is. What is it that hinders you? What is it that hurts your ability to come before God? And maybe it's not something that is just outright sinful, but it's definitely something that hurts your ability. It's definitely something that hinders you from worshiping God. We kind of talked about this in the, in the class today. What hinders our prayers? You know what? Every single time I've tried to think in my own life about an example of things that have hindered my prayers, never, not one time has it ever been something that wasn't sinful. 
I'm not saying that it could, couldn't absolutely, that, that it could never be the case, but it is always, it's never going to be a good thing that's in our lives. It's a stumbling block that needs to be taken out. And so what's a stumbling block? What's a hindrance that we can take out of our lives that could, that could hurt our ability to come before God? But it also is something that is supposed to cleanse us from disease. And what I think you find over and over again in the New Testament is this notion of sin being that sickness that Christ came to heal us of. You see this especially in Mark chapter 2. Christ uses this kind of language specifically. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The, good, the great physician is here. We sing that song. We sing those lyrics every now and then. The sympathizing Jesus. And he has come to cleanse us of this sickness, take it away. And I think you see this also, this language um, in Romans, just it pervades Romans. That notion of it being something that corrupts and it is something that binds us, that we need those bonds broken by Christ specifically. Now there's a balance here because you look at John chapter 9 when there's a blind man that, that is brought before Jesus. They say, well, in, in verses 2 through 3 of John chapter 9, they say, well, is this, what sin has this man committed to become blind? To be, well, Jesus says, you know, it, 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 it's not any sin that he committed. Now, so what we're not saying here is that all disease comes directly because of sin. Certainly there are some that could. But not, just because you have a disease, that doesn't mean it's directly from sin. But what we find is sin is absolutely a disease. And it is a sickness that we need to be cleansed of. And the effects of that, of that sickness. Remember how he talked about leprosy in Leviticus chapters 13 through 14? Again, is there nothing to take from that? The pervasiveness and the contagious nature of those kinds of disease. Is sin not also just as contagious, if not more so? Is it not pervasive? And is it not something, you know, that, that needs to have drastic measures taken to destroy it, to get rid of it, to abolish it in our lives? It takes Christ. And what Christ says is you need to do everything that I say. It's going to be difficult, but I can cleanse you of it. And you even think about little things like when, when a leper came in the presence of people, they would have to put their hands over the, the unclean, unclean. They'd have to shout that out. We're thinking, oh, how, how, how harmful, how hurtful. But it was important enough because it was a contagious thing and you can't let that spread. You take even a notion just as small and subtle as that. Isn't there something to a degree that the church is supposed to react in the same way when sin is in their midst? Not talking about something as, in, in comparison, trivial as leprosy, but sin much more deadly. And you know what you have to do? You have to call it out. And you have to make sure you don't have fellowship with that. And if you do, well, you're just inviting sickness on you. Now, all of those things just to say, again, ultimately, when we talk about this kind of separation and holiness, it is separating ourselves from corruption Anything that takes us further from him, not associating ourselves with it. And this separation is still a drawing near to godly purity. Especially, you look over at 1 Peter chapter 1 very quickly. This is the last passage we'll look at. 1 Peter 1 and verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also, in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what I think when people say, well, the law is dead. We don't have to think about that anymore. So we're just going to forget about this notion that you need to be holy as I am. Peter brings it up. So I guess it's not something that we can just act like it has no value. No, it has incredible value. If anything, 
one, what we can take from that is if we can't find the value, just think about the efforts and the energy it took for them to be clean before God and to be in a right, worthy manner to come before God. If nothing else, see the value in that. That it wasn't just a nonchalant, cavalier attitude that they could have when, when they give these offerings. No, it needs to be the best of the offerings. It needs to be a sacrifice. Not only that, but you need to make sure that you've been living in a way to where that sacrifice can be accepted. And we want to make sure that it is a sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable, soothing aroma before the Lord. That's, that's definitely a valuable application we can take from that. Because what does Romans 12 say? That, that we need to be a living sacrifice. Can you say that you're that living sacrifice? Can you say that you worked just as hard to make sure that you can be in a right relationship before God? Can you say that you have tried to uh, learn his word, look at his revealed will, so that way we can be a part of that kingdom? Don't come away from this lesson thinking, no matter how, whether it be poorly or well-spoken, don't come away from this lesson thinking there was no value because we were talking about the old law. That's exactly what Israel's problem was. They saw no value in it ever. We don't want to make the exact same mistake. The law was put in place to show us in a very tangible way just how gross and corrosive and disgusting sin was and therefore how much God had to give to get rid of it and to cleanse us of it. And he gave his son to cleanse us of it. That's what it took. Does that still seem like a trivial thing? No, that is actually the most important thing that you have to take from the story of the Bible. That the son of God, only his death could be the propitiation for our sins. Are you willing to accept that sacrifice this morning? What that means is you're going to have to give up a lot. You're going to have to sacrifice much in your own life. But it is worth it when you look at the reward of being cleansed of our sin and being able to live holy for our God. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.